I know it's more fun listening to Brandon, but uh, we will try to make that fun anyway. I knew that was happening. I knew that was happening. All right. So we are continuing in our um, series in the book of Galatians. We're going to do uh, Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 14. And uh, I'd like you to just read that with me, please. Does anybody have the page number in the Bible? 973. Okay. And I don't know why, but I can't get the page numbers on here for some reason. So let's read together in our Lord Jesus' name. Oh, foolish Galatians, what a way to start. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him? As righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Father, deep stuff that you have written for us, and I pray that you would reach right into the depth of our hearts with your word. Some of us have heard and read this passage time and time again, and yet, Lord, there's always more. And I pray that you would give us that more today, that more of your law, that more of understanding, that more of wisdom, and more than anything, that more of grace 
and faith in Jesus. Thank you in your wonderful name. Amen. Oh, foolish Galatians. That word, that specific word for fool, appears only six times in the New Testament, and every time it was used, it was deadly serious. Today, we sometimes hear people say, or maybe I say, or you say, or maybe you're saying it to me, or thinking it about me, what were you thinking? And that can be anything from a criticism, like, what's wrong with you? to just sort of a joking little thing that you say to people once, what were you thinking? Come on. But the way that word is used in the original language, it is never that. It is always exactly what it is saying. In the Greek, it's called evocative. Today, we would call it a, an exclamation. And that's why most of our texts have that exclamation point at the end. Oh, foolish Galatians. And he isn't just writing to one church. You know, it isn't like, oh, foolish Emmaus Rhodians. Is that a word? It is now. Okay, thank you, Deb. I'm, I, I appreciate you giving me permission for that. Galatia was a whole region of churches, and I don't know how many there were, but they were all over the place. And this is not just the use of some friendly, humorous, or even a little bit of sarcasm. It is deadly serious. It is eternally serious. The word for foolish here, it means thoughtless. We might say clueless, senseless, out of our minds. This is exactly what he is saying to the churches and every member thereof in Galatia. If somebody wrote a letter to us saying, Oh, foolish Emmaus Rhodians, I think I might be insulted. In fact, that is one of those things, one of those words that we don't use for people. Because it is so insulting. Long time ago, as a matter of fact, I had just graduated from seminary. We were living in Fergus Falls, and, and Jay and his, I don't remember, it was Jody and Rob there too? I don't know. Maybe the whole family was there. Anyway, we were having dinner in our little house, and uh, we were making uh, pizzas in our oven. And these were allegedly really good pizzas that you could get that are sort of pre-made. I think you can do that at the Casey's or someplace like that here today, too. Why anybody would, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we decided we would give that a try. And I had it on a full authority from my, my children. This is good, Dad. You're going to like it. So I had pizzas in the oven, two racks, you know, and there were a whole lot to make because I don't know how many there were of us. And... Um, I was having trouble with something, and I don't remember what it was. And I said, oh, this stupid thing. And Doug went, oh. And everybody looked at Doug, what? Grandpa said a bad word. And I'm thinking, whoa, what did I say? So I had to ask because I didn't think I'd said a bad word. You said stupid, Grandpa. We're not allowed to say that. 
That's what this is. Now, in that case, it was humorous. I wasn't using it in that way of saying something bad about someone. I was using it to express my irritation. It still might not be the best thing to say, particularly when mom and dad are trying to tell their children, you don't use that word. This was a big deal. And then he asks the question. There's a whole bunch of them he's going to go through here. He says, who has bewitched you? Now, if you're my age, you may remember a, uh, a sitcom called Bewitched, and it was kind of silly, and, uh, you know, they were making light of, of, of witchcraft and things like that, but this word is not silly. This word is exactly what it says. It, is, it comes from the first century witchcraft. It was about casting spells for real. Not for pretend, not for fun, not for literature. It was about witches and witchcraft casting spells on people for evil. And that is what Paul is saying. Who has cast a spell on you? And it says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That word portrayed, um, it had the idea of writing it on a huge sign, a billboard. Now, I don't think Paul and, and his companions were, were putting up billboards, Jesus saves, and things like that. But the message was so clear and spoken so out openly out in public. You know, they didn't have a lot of places like this. By this time, most of the Christians had been thrown out of the, of the temples or the synagogues, and so they went to open-air places. Anybody who was nearby could hear the truth. It was full of public proclamation, Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins. Tell me, did you receive the Spirit that day by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith. You know, when Paul went to Galatia, most of the people that were there were pagans, multiple, you know, worshiping multiple gods, barbarians. They had some other kind of worship practice. And there were others, and there were probably a few Jews there, but they were all living in fear. What if that God, not that God, that God, doesn't like me. And so they did all kinds of rituals devoted to stone, wood, the sun, the moon, all of these different things, and they were constantly doing that, hoping but not believing that maybe if I get it right with one of those gods, he'll make it better for me. And their whole focus was on better for me today, next week, next month, the harvest, my family, whatever. And we pray those prayers to the one real God, but that's not the first one. When I was in seminary, uh, I had a, a fellow student, his name was Potiphar Suina, and he was from Chad, Africa, and he was a genius, 
So he spoke fluent French, and he spoke multiple tribal languages, and, uh, and he came to the United States knowing zero English. Now, I gather that he had studied Greek and Hebrew. In fact, his Hebrew was so good, he used to correct our Hebrew professor. Not all the time, but once in a while, you know, professor, I think that there needs to be a little point there, doesn't it? That kind of genius. But he came here speaking no English. He arrived in June, started classes with us in August, and I wouldn't say that he spoke English like most of us, but he did a really good job. He was a genius. And one of the things that he said was, this is Africa. Africa is living in fear, worshiping many gods at times. And, you know, Islam, one god, but it's the same thing. Living in fear, hoping beyond hope that if I get something right, things will go better for me. And for the most part, it is all about what's better on the earth. And then Paul showed up, and he started talking about Jesus, and he started talking about really weird and strange things like mercy, forgiveness, a living, loving God who wants to bless us and doesn't want to condemn us. A God who doesn't have to be manipulated. And perhaps most important of all, a God that is interested in way more than this life, it's eternal life with him. Wait a minute, so I can have that? That's what the people were thinking. I can have that? Even the few Jews that were sprinkled in there, they were still living in fear, fear of the law, fear of getting it wrong, fear of never measure up. And there are people today who are living in fear because I might not be good enough. I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than that person. That person over there, he's pretty good. I don't know. Might not measure up to that. They lived in fear. Almost constant fear. That's why they worshipped. They didn't worship out of love and thanksgiving. They worshipped out of fear. And yes, we can have eternal life and forgiveness and mercy and all of those things. We can have it. And finally, the Galatians got it. I don't know how long Paul was there before they did, but that's what happened. Now, you have to hand it to the false teachers, right? Paul went in there. He had a very compelling message out in the open, talking to people about Jesus talking to people about love and mercy, salvation, eternity. And oh, by the way, you'll see once you get to there, it really helps day to day too. It doesn't necessarily prevent me from doing the wrong thing. But it helps. It doesn't necessarily prevent my neighbor from doing the wrong thing towards me. But it still helps. But the big part of it is, it changes the heart in a way that I can endure what I don't know how I would have gone through before. 
And these false teachers, they fanned out into all of Galatia following Paul. I had this idea in my mind, it's not so sanctified in my mind, so I don't know for sure, but I just have this idea that where Paul went, they just sent people simultaneously to all of these churches in Galatia and somehow or other convinced them that Jesus isn't enough. That you have to close the deal with some sort of ritualistic laws, rules. Now, to the former Jews, this message might have felt pretty good. Oh, good, I didn't waste any time. I just needed Jesus. I already got this stuff. But that isn't what Paul says. Paul says none of it will work. And Paul is again asking the questions. Are you, do you really think you can perfect yourself? You believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is yours. He's doing all kinds of wonderful things in your life. He gets you through all of the hard, tough things. And now you think you're going to make it better by living out the law. It won't. Talking to somebody recently who said, believe in Jesus and do the right thing. It's hard for me to say, was that day, it's just Jesus. Just Jesus. Because whether I fail deliberately or fail inadvertently, it's still a failure, and he has still forgiven me. In fact, he forgave me in advance. Before I ever knew some of the stuff I was going to do, before I was saved, after I was saved, he still is all there is. Yes, I do want to do the right thing, except that one time, or maybe that other time, or maybe there's a whole lot of times that I didn't really want to do the right thing and didn't. But he still loves me. He has still forgiven me. It is still all I need. And the problem with these guys, the problem with the Galatians, is they didn't go back far enough. They were living out now the whole idea that Moses was part of their salvation. Do this, do that, all those things. The law has a purpose. It is to show us who I am. Show me who I am. You can look at you. I'll, I'll just look at me. It's to show me who I am. I'm a sinner, and I can't do one thing about it. And that's the law. So it's not to hurt me. It's to show me. I need something way more than me. And that's what he gives. It was Abraham they needed to look back to. So he lived, what, 700 years before? Something like that. And very beginning, he told Abraham. He made promises to him. Abraham believed God. He didn't see the fulfillment of those promises until a long time after. And in reality, there was one promise that he would make him a great nation that he never saw in the flesh. That happened long after he believed. 
And God said, righteous. Believing, righteous. That's it. Not believe, do the right thing. Not believe and do all of this other stuff. No, it's believe, righteous. We call it justified. And the literal meaning of that is declared or proclaimed righteous. For everyone who believes there is a gavel in heaven that came down and says, not guilty. None of it. None of my past, none of my present, none of my future sins is God going to hold against me because of Jesus. And I believe goes on to talk about, if you're depending on the law, the right thing part of the law, you're under a curse. I mean, this is bad news. If I really do believe that I have to believe in Jesus and then do the best thing, do the right thing to the best of my ability, I am under a curse. God has written that the righteous shall live by faith and the law has no connection to our faith other than that one little bit. It shows us who we are. Christ redeemed us from the curse of doing. Christ redeemed us, paid for us. And the curse that was ours because we are so stuck on doing. I think, Betty, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, we were talking about raising children. And, um, you know, thankfully that is way behind us now, uh, although there are grandchildren. And, um, you know, kids get it wrong. So, how do you parent with the gospel? Tough question. That's another topic for us to talk to. And, but it is, the fact is, there needs to be law, the right, the wrong, consequences, not punishment, for breaking the law of the family, always joined with mercy and forgiveness. If your kids are walking around wondering if I've been forgiven for that thing or those things or that myriad of things, then they don't get the gospel. And it's best for us as parents to kind of look that over. It is the same in the church. I know of countless churches where the character in that church is one of conflict and abuse criticism, anger, I want my way and I don't care about yours. And I am so blessed to be in a place where I know we all do that sometimes. And yet at the same time, God overrules when we let him. And I don't see that as the character of this church, certainly not as you have embraced my, my family and me. It's been great. So that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Abraham was a restart of faith, not Moses. 
God used Moses in many wonderful ways, not the least of which he went and fetched him from a long way off and brought him in. And one of his main purposes was to deliver the children of Israel from the slavery of Egypt. Oh, by the way, that's the gospel. I've been in so many churches where the law is taught beginning with thou shalt not. It is always God who acts first. And he always acts with the, the gospel first. And I pray that as we interact with one another, that we too would live in that reality that we always act with the gospel first. Yes, some training may be necessary. Some discipline. By the way, the word discipline comes from the word disciple, follower, learner, not punished. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it is the faith of Abraham that we need. Not one that, and if we studied Abraham's life a couple of years ago, and you know, his life was like mine, kind of a train wreck. He got a lot of things wrong. And sometimes God called him out on it, and sometimes he didn't. Because the gospel and faith is what, what the message that God was driving home. And now through him and the ages of who have followed him and believed, it is now for us a gift, not something to be earned. Father, Thank you for the gift of faith. For the gift of justification that is free with no payback, nothing owed, paid in full. And yet there remains in us a desire not to pay you back because we can't, but to worship and to thank and to be on our knees, because not of because of, of who we were, but because of who we are com becoming by faith. Thank you in your name. Amen.